Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. You know, the Bible says that the foundation of the church is built on Jesus Christ and the apostles and the prophets. And I'm just grateful to have our overseer here today um, to actually minister the word of the living God to us. You know, it's one thing for a man to say he's an author and his books have reached millions of people or have, he's a part of a movie that's reached hundreds of millions of people. Um, I believe it's something significant when you can talk about a man as a father uh, and as a husband and as a friend. And we are blessed in our spiritual family to have the co-founder of our Every Nation Movement, which is in 80 nations of the world, to actually open up our year and help us understand what it's like to be a family focused on God. So would you in your homes give God thanksgiving for the ministry gift of Dr. Rice Brooks as he comes and ministers the word of life to us this morning? Thank you so much, Pastor James. Thank Happy you, sir. New Year. Man, I Happy like New that Year, beard. Debbie. Happy New Year to you. Welcome. And Again, I'm, 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 I'm honored to be able to give the message in the first Sunday of the year and to have this theme of a family focused on God. And, and I believe that not only as we as a church family, but you as a, as a family, uh, that's your heart's desire. You, you, wake, you wake up on New Year's Day and you think, okay, all the things we want to do right, all the things we want to restart, uh, we're certainly doing that as a country saying, how can we restart? How can we get things better? How can we do things better? Uh, physically, how can we do things better? You know, in every area, especially spiritually. And I, I go back to the basics. When, uh, whenever I get, whenever there gets any kind of disorienting, uh, anything going on that's disorienting around me, I kind of center back into the, the simplicity of what's important. Go to the basics. I love talking about the existence of God to college students because there's nothing more foundational than there is a God. And because God exists, then everything else flows from that truth. God exists, therefore that there is a their ultimate, there's a purpose in the universe, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, the gospel is true, as Pastor James just led us through communion. Uh, the gospel is public truth. It's something that happened in history. Christ was a real figure. He really did live. He really did die. And three days later, his tomb was empty. And because of that, Christianity started in the very place where it would have been easiest to disprove, in Jerusalem, three days after his death. And the disciples who uh, would have known whether he was alive or not, whether he was really, you know, was it, whether this was some kind of a, a hoax or whether they were doing this for some other motive, Many people die for what they believe to be true, but no one dies for what they know to be false. And most of the disciples, I would say seven out of 12, history says, gave their lives as martyrs rather than deny that Jesus had not been raised from the dead. So our faith is sure. We're not here on the first Sunday of, of 2021 uh, and just having wishful thinking or just thinking, let's try this religious thing again. It really is true. And so because of that, as we, as we open this Sunday, and we're, we're talking about a family focused on God. The question that's raised is, well, what, what should we focus on? What do we focus on if we're to be a family focused on God? 
And so I want to say three things that I think will be easy to remember. That as a family, we're to focus on God's purposes. Number two, we're going to, to, to focus on his promises. And number three, we're to focus on his people. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your mercy today. We thank you that this is our Bible. Uh, Lord, this Bible is true. We believe that it contains knowledge of you. Not religious knowledge, but real knowledge. And that as we open your word today, that we are able to make contact with you. Not just what we imagine to be true or what we hope to be true, but what is really true. And that anchor of confidence that we have, that the scriptures are true, that the gospel is true, then we can make sense in the midst of all the noises around us. We can make sense of the world because we know what's true. We have a north star. We have a compass that does not lead us astray, but it is, it is giving us an objective reality to guide us out of confusion. And Lord, though voices of confusion may grow in the coming days, may we not be a people distracted into all the voices of rancor and division and speculation and conspiracy theories. Lord, may our voices, may our, may our minds and hearts be focused on your voice and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Genesis, uh, in fact, this was a, a passage that Pastor James and I uh, were talking about as we discussed uh, this series, Awesome God. And you know, so many times uh, we all overuse. We overuse amazing. Everything's amazing. Everything's awesome. It's like, is there, are there any other words? And when we say a latte is amazing, or when we say a football game is amazing, it really diminishes what we're really trying to say when it comes to what does it mean that God's amazing or God's awesome. Every, if everything's awesome, then it's like underlying everything in a book. If you underline with your marker everything, then nothing's underlined. So we really have to kind of rethink what does it mean to be awesome? What does it mean to be in absolute awe? Not just surprised or we just don't know what else to say. But we do have an awesome God. The universe, uh, some estimates, are 96 billion light years across. I mean, we can't fathom. It's, it's beyond imagination the vastness of the universe and how that we are this little speck in the universe. And yet, are we just as uh, the materialist, as the scientist, the atheist would say, we're just insignificant? I was at a conference years ago and one of the leading atheists got up in front of all these atheists. And I just, I think I was the only uh, Christian in the audience at the, at the uh, Global Atheist Convention. But he said, I'm here to tell you that you're more insignificant than anything you've ever imagined. He said, we constitute about 1% of a bit of pollution in the universe. And I'm thinking to myself, you're not going to be asked to do the motivational speech before the Super Bowl with that kind of talk. We, we're, we're more than just an incidental byproduct, a little piece of dirt. In the, in the vastness of the universe, this, this ability to be conscious, this ability to be aware, this ability to study the universe... This is all a part of this awesome God who has endowed us with this faculty of knowledge and understanding and wisdom and the ability to look at the universe as a problem to be solved, as, 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 as it can yield answers to us. As we see diseases or problems, we can, we can put our minds and focus on understanding what it is and how to get a breakthrough. That's what it means to walk by faith. 
It isn't just to hope that a, an answer falls out of the sky. Faith begins with the belief that there can be confidence that there's an answer to, to see disease ended and to see problems solved. And that's the kind of faith we want you to have in this awesome God. But I want to just talk about these three things about this family focused on God and what are we to focus on? Number one, we're going to focus on God's purposes. One of the, one of the verses we all use uh, to, when, when all else fails, when everything else fails, we go back to Romans 8, 28. And I, well, brother, all things work together for good. You got to kind of use a little Tennessee accent with it. But brother, all things work together for good. Things kind of becomes a three-syllable word. All things. But um, we like to say that, but yet you've got to read the rest of the verse. Romans 8, 28. All things, work, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, Years ago, there was a period of time that we call the Enlightenment, and it's a period in, in history where, where reason became preeminent. And in this time, there was a man named Descartes, and he began to doubt everything. He said, I doubt everything except for the fact that I'm doubting. And so he kind of put everything back to the thing, well, I know I exist because I can doubt and think. And so his famous phrase was cogito ergo sum in Latin, I think, therefore I am. But what he did was, and what the Enlightenment did, in order to establish certainty, they kind of removed everything else and doubted everything else. And one of the main things they doubted was the whole notion of purpose. Because Aristotle, the philosopher, basically said you can, you can look at something and you can see causality, but he said the ultimate causality is what something is made for. What's, what is the purpose of a thing? When you look around, you see everything has purpose. We, we understand that in terms of our physical life. We understand that in terms of what we put on or, 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 or the, the things that we put you know, into our bodies. Oh, this is for the purpose of this. We take a pill for this purpose. But do you think that that's something that we made up? No, purpose is the very, it's the very nature of God in all that is seen. Romans chapter 1 says that the nature and attributes of God are clearly seen through what is made. And that's because there's a purpose. Uh, one of our dear friends who's a member of our church, Dr. Ming Wang, one of the most celebrated eye surgeons in the world, a fantastic believer, he, he fascinates me when he begins to discuss the eye. And he said, if you really understood the eye and how how complex it is and all the parts of that, you would never think that the eye could come about by random chance. Charles Darwin himself in, in The Origin of Species, he, he talked about the problem of the eye. Because when we begin to look at the complexity of things, the information inside of living things, everything has a purpose. So God didn't bring the universe into existence without having an overarching purpose for, that, for, for, for the universe. And so for us, we said, well, wait a minute, I don't want to, don't want to get into that, Pastor Rice. I don't want to just talk about big things that college students want to talk about. I need to know how to live day by day. But yet God's purpose isn't just to bring a human race into existence or to bring physical things into existence. There is a reachable purpose that you and I can touch here and now. It's a reachable purpose. The purpose is, is that this planet 
And every living thing, every, every person, let's just, be, let's just be practical, every person on this planet would have a relationship with God. That the gospel itself, which is that, that part of God's purpose, which fixes that which is broken. When we were broken, when we, had, when we were lost, when there was no chance to ever come back in line with the purposes of God, God himself became a man in Christ and lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. And then his resurrection validated who he is. And then he sends us into the planet and says, I want you to express this message to the planet. That is my purpose. And so there's no higher thing, there's no greater thing that we as a spiritual family, as a church, or as you as a family can be involved in than the purposes of God to spread this message to the planet. That's why we as a spiritual family, just starting a uh, little over 25 years ago, my college roommate, uh, Steve Merle, and another close friend, Phil Benasso, who you'll hear from in the, in the next couple of weeks here as we kind of launched the, uh, this series this year. But we got together in the Philippines and said, you know, the greatest thing we can do with our lives is just see every nation reached. What if, what if we formed an organization and dedicated ourselves to reaching every nation in our generation? That was the, the gist of what we were saying. And now, a little over 25 years later, we have seen churches planted in 82 nations. And by the grace of God, we hope to see that mission fulfilled by the year 2040. Now, that's not a, a hard, fast date. We're just, it's kind of a hope that, that in our generation, starting from the year 2000 to, 20, to 2040, a 40-year generation, we would see ministry, especially targeting young people, because young people are, are, the, are the group, of the demographic that uh, most people make a decision for Christ at an early age. And that's why the battle rages on campus and in high schools and in junior highs, even in grade schools now, for the hearts and souls and minds of people. And so Bethel is a part of this family. We're dedicated to that. We're dedicated to say, Lord, how can we touch every high school in this city? How can we touch every university in this city? How can every family, if you as a family come to church at Bethel, it's not just about you sitting here once we regather and sitting and just kind of, okay, we're in church, we've got our night, we, we, we punched the clock. No, it's about your children believing that this story is true. It's about your children saying, Lord, how can I, as a 12-year-old, understand that you do exist and that the greatest thing I can do with my life is, is throw myself into your purpose? And that isn't just being a pastor. That's being whoever you're called to be. That's being an educator. That's being a, a mom or a dad. That's being, a, that's being someone who works in, in, in commerce. It's, what, it's wherever you find your life, realizing that I can throw myself into God's purpose and God can use me here. It's being aware of that purpose. Genesis chapter 12, God really makes the first promise, positive promise to a human being when he promised Abraham something. Now he made a promise to, to Noah. Uh, Noah was told that the earth would be destroyed and then he promised after the destruction through the flood that they, he would not do it again. He would not destroy the earth in that way again. But in Genesis 12, God finds this person named Abram, which meant father of many, no children. I mean, this is, again, the sense of humor of God. He comes to you 
and tells you a promise, which we'll talk about in a moment, that has really nothing to do with your ability, but he just, he, he tells you what you're going to be. Abram, you're a, you're a, you're a, you've been a father of many. I'm going to call you Abraham, a father of many nations. And then he begins to give him this promise in Genesis 12. And he says, I'm going to bless you. And he says, Abraham, Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, he intended, as we go to the New Testament, as we get to the book of Galatians, it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise, which means that it isn't just about knowing what God said to Abraham. It's saying that, wait a minute, what he promised to Abraham, he will do for me in my generation, just like he did for Abraham in his generation. Whatever God said to Abraham, he would do. And he promised Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'll not only bless you, I'll bless your descendants after you in their generation if they trust me like you're trusting me. And so as we start out the year, we're not only trusting God's purposes. God, I'm gonna find out what I can do as a family to be involved in your purposes. We're trusting God's promises. Now, if we're a family focused on God, we're not only, we're saying, Lord, how, how does what I'm doing in my life, how can my life uh, fit into your purpose? I'm probably getting ahead of myself. Let me, well, usually I'm behind myself, so I'm, I'm probably in, in that good conundrum right now, but I, wanted, I don't want to get ahead of the purpose of God because when you understand the purpose of God is to bless the nations, then you realize that every, every person you see from another country in Nashville, some 100 nations living in Nashville, that is, that is a opportunity to be a blessing to the nations without getting on a plane and, and flying to those nations. We were sitting in a, in a restaurant nearby here in Brentwood, Tennessee, where we are. We're kind of in a, we're, Bethel's in a, in, a, in a unique spot. We're on the corner of Old Hickory and Granny White, and then we've got the city of, quote, unquote, Forest Hills, Nashville, and Brentwood. We're just right in the middle of, 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 of all these different uh, of, uh, names, you know, yet we say we're Nashville, we're technically, I think, right in Brentwood or Forest Hills, we're right in this area, but, but you know, you, you can realize that right here, right down the street, we went to eat at this restaurant and there was a young 14-year-old, 15-year-old Egyptian student who was visiting his family and working in a restaurant right nearby here in Brentwood, and we began to defriend, uh, befriend him. And my wife particularly took an interest in him and found out where he was, you know, all about where he was from and, you know, this family members and, you know, their names. And, and a few years ago, I got to go to Egypt. And when I got to Egypt, I had a problem at the airport. And I was flying from Cairo back to Tel Aviv. And, and that's not, you don't want to get into difficulty in the Cairo airport when you're going back to Israel. There's a lot of tension, obviously. Well, that... 15-year-old student that we had befriended here, it just so happened that his father was the minister of justice in Egypt. Now, I was able to call that man. He found out that I had some difficulty. He came to the airport to help me out. Now, don't tell me I'm sitting here looking at someone who, by all appearances, is just, here he is, just some student. Uh, he could have easily been dismissed. We took an interest in him. 
You never know, the point is, who you're going to meet and the impact that you're going to have uh, when you befriend someone. That's why the Bible calls us to be a friend of the foreigner. The very word hospitality, we as pastors and, and elders are re required to be, to qualify as elders, is to be hospitable. It literally means, it's a Greek word, philios, xenos, which means to be a friend of the foreigner. So we are to reach out. We're to, we're to, to, to love others from other countries. You know that there are almost a million international students in America. One million. Most of them are from the top 5% of their nation. So the best and brightest come here. And so the leaders of the nations come here to study. And what they say in surveys is, is almost more than the degree. They want an American friend. Just somebody to befriend them. Somebody to say, would you invite me into your home? You as a family can say, how can we reach out to foreign students? How can we befriend people from other nations? How can we stop and, and, and acknowledge someone? Have you, ever, have you ever, listen, have you ever just been ignored? I mean, there's nothing, I would rather you just West Texas cuss me than just act like I'm invisible. And that's what many people from other countries say. They say, when we walk around here, we just feel like we're invisible. That uh, if people perceive that we're from someplace else, they just kind of look through us. To acknowledge and to say, where are you from? And oh, tell me about your country. Oh, I, in fact, we have a, a church in the Philippines today, one of the largest in the world, because of someone from Filipino descent who was at USC, University of Southern California, came to Christ and helped lead with Pastor Steve Murrow, lead uh, a ministry back to the Philippines. And most of the nations we've reached, it's because we've met foreign students, international students, not only in America. One of our churches in Bangladesh uh, was, is pastored by someone who came to Christ in Japan because somebody in Japan reached out to him when he was there as an international student or an international visitor. And so keeping in mind God's purposes is to touch the planet. It's to bless all the families of the nations through the seed of Abraham, which is us because of Christ. So we're a family focused on God's purpose. Secondly, as I was about to mention, we're a family focused on God's promises. And if you really believed that this book was true and you really opened this up and begin to study these promises uh, and you begin to see, like in Romans chapter 4, when God promises the heirs of this covenant that he will bless you. He will bless you to be a blessing. You see, you and I as a family, we've got some promises. So when Pastor James stands up and he reads us the Bible week after week and he gives us these promises, we don't take those and throw them behind us. We don't kind of put them aside and go, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty good. That's, that's pretty good preaching. No, we should have a notebook out and saying, now, wait a minute. Hold on a minute. What did you say God said? What did you say, Pastor James? You're saying that if you give, it'll be given back. You see, that's not just something that ministry made up for some kind of gimmick. That's out of the book of Luke. It's, it's to give, to be blessed, to be a blessing. In fact, that was the covenant to Abraham. God says, I will bless you, Abraham, and you will be a blessing. And I promise you, when you and I get to the end of our lives, we're going to look back on our lives and we're going to say to ourselves, what did I do to make a difference? 
What did I do to make a difference in someone else's lives? It isn't just to say, well, at least I ate at all my favorite restaurants, at least I watched all my favorite movies. We're not going to go down and, and, and think, well, at least, the, you know, at least the Titans won the Super Bowl. It'll happen. You know, just I'm not prophesying. I'm, 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 that's a good guess. I'm just saying if we wait long enough, it's going to happen. But what are we saying? We're saying, God, did we take your promises seriously? So begin to focus on those promises. Find out what they are. You know, people, people, can, people come up to us and say, well, pray for me, Brother Rice. Pray for me, Pastor James. Well, what for? Well, I don't know. Just pray. <laughs> just like we're supposed to, like we have this, we'll wave our hand over you. Well, is there any promise you're standing on? Well, none in particular. And I can't tell you the moments that I've taken my Bible and put my hand on a promise or finger like this closed it like this, the Bible, and just walked my floor holding my Bible, holding on to a promise. Not only for a child, not only for a circumstance uh, in my family, but sometimes in a ministry context. Lord, if you, if you don't come through, we are sunk. Now, there's something about that. There's something about that kind of faith that we all hear and sounds good to be preached at about that, but when it comes down to the darkness of the midnight hour, the Apostle Paul uh, had gotten this vision. He said, We're gonna, God spoke to me, I've got a vision. And he went to Silas, his ministry buddy. He said, Look, I've got a vision. We're going to Macedonia. And Silas, I'm sure, is thinking, Well, man, if God's in it, man, it's gonna be great. They get to Macedonia, and guess what happens? They get arrested, they get beaten, and they get thrown in prison. And they're literally hanging in chains. Now, I can imagine Silas looking over at Paul, hanging in chains with their back beaten, and Silas leaning over going, vision, huh? <laughs> it's not the Lord. I mean, anything that ends up, <laughs> that we end up getting beaten and thrown in jail could not be a vision. I mean, God, what are you talking, what kind of vision is this? You get me out here, tell me God told you to come here. This couldn't be the, listen, we, we somehow think if it's not easy, then it must not be God's will. Listen, sometimes as Paul, as, as, as the apostles in, in Acts said, through many sufferings, we must enter the kingdom of God. But instead of sitting there bemoaning or lamenting their fate, it says at midnight, they begin to sing praises to God. At midnight, in the midnight hour, it's not just when the sun is shining and the choir's here. And the, I mean, anybody can praise God. Or you wake up one morning and there's Pastor James in your house with a pulpit like this preaching to you or pa Sister Debbie singing to you. Anybody could be encouraged if Pastor James just followed you around in the choir and the music group. But what about the midnight hour when none of us are here? You better, you better, it's, it's not like, well, what was that verse he talked about? Have these promises written out. My brother's an attorney in Austin, Texas, Ben, and uh, you know my story, many of you that follow this ministry and know my brother was an atheist in law school who came home to talk me out of my faith. Uh, when I'd become a Christian and the weekend he came home to talk me out of my faith, uh, he said um, he came home to talk me out of my faith. We ended up baptizing him. And he came to Christ. It was a dramatic thing. Doesn't always happen that way. So if you're hanging on for your loved ones, don't think, well, what, what's, what's wrong with us? Well, sometimes it happens fast, sometimes not. God just needed to get a hold of that man quickly. And, uh, but 
anyway, so all that to say is my brother is a, an attorney and he takes the Bible as a legal book. And one of, he came to Bethel years ago on a Wednesday night and he gave a message called uh, Lessons from the Law. And he says, he said, he said, read the contract. Read the contract. And my brother said, one time a man came into his office and said, I got fired from my job. I've gotten fired. He said, I've been there 30 years. And my brother said, well, do you have any contract? He goes, well, something. He said, do you have any stock? He goes, yeah, I've got stock. So he brings my brother all this stock just kind of piled up. And my brother reads through it. And he looks at this man. He said, you own 52% of the company. You own the company. You got fired from your own company. He said, well, let's just go kick them out. He said, well, wait a minute. You've been saying boss and sir to them for a while. It's going to take a minute. But because the man didn't read the contract, he didn't know that he owned the company. That actually happened. Read, read the contract. Don't just say, oh, I did my Bible reading today. Oh, the Holy Bible. It's so holy I wouldn't want to read it. And we put it up there like that on, on our coffee table and don't put a Coca-Cola on it. We, get it, we move it all around like that, and we, 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 we honor, oh, now I've got it on my phone, brother. Well, that, that, that just means it's just lost in a sea of other apps and distractions. Read the contract. Focus on his promises. And finally, so a family focused on God, this awesome God, focus on his purposes. What, is his, what are his purposes? To redeem the earth. If God became a man in Christ, suffered like he did, then guess what? The gospel is the most important thing on God's mind today. Not whether my latte got made right. Not whether I have to drive around and get a parking place. And as I focus on his purposes, then it says all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Focus on his promises He's made promises and he remembers them. And when we pray, it's not like we're having to remind God, God, don't you, you don't remember you promised. No, it's not about God remembering. It's about you remembering. It's about me remembering. For some reason, God has required that we have faith. When we get to heaven, we won't need it. We'll, we'll see face to face. But now it's a matter of trust. What broke the relationship between God and man in the beginning was a lack of faith. Hath God said, did God say, I always quoted in the King James, like, like Satan was quoting in the King James, <laughs> hath God said, did God say, Satan said to Adam and Eve this. And so it was a lack of faith that got us in this predicament. When God wanted to reconnect with humanity in a deeper way, he found Abram and then changed his name to Abraham. And what reconnected Abraham to God? Faith. Faith, and that's why the Apostle Paul comes along and says that righteousness is a faith. Righteousness is being in relationship, being in right standing. We come in to, the, to a right relationship with God by faith. And that's why it says without faith, you and I can't please God. So we have to focus on his purposes, focus on his promises, and then finally focus on his people. You know, we've... We've faced incredible odds as families, as individuals, as a planet. Uh, not unprecedented. If we know history, we know there have been massive, 
massive uh, plagues and, and, and disasters throughout history. But for us in this generation, this has been something uh, devastating and, and, and thousands and thousands of lives lost. But for us as a people, for us as God's people, we can't forget that he has called us to be a people, that this church is not our idea. God said, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, there's something about Jesus when he, when he, when he, when he tells us things. He said something like this. He said, in fact, I'll, tell you, I'll just tell you the way it came to me initially. I was watching Christian television one time and there was a man on television that I did not like what he said or what his message was. And I was kind of watching him almost like sometimes you slow down to watch a car wreck on the highway. And, um, and I remember I was criticizing this man and, and, and I felt the Lord spoke to me and he said, um, do you think he's a Christian? And I, <laughs> I kind of chuckled. I said, well, he's a dumb Christian. And I heard this repeated back to me in my mind. He said, what you do to the least of my brethren, you've done to me. What you've done to the least. Jesus said, by this will all men know, men and women know you're my disciples if you love one another. You know, I can go out and if, if I went out on the, on the college campus and I, I got in front of a, a crowd of students and someone was sick and I prayed for them publicly and got healed, many people would think it was just a show, a trick. If we had a camera at the tomb of Jesus and could video him coming out of the tomb 2,000 years ago, people would say, oh, that's just some kind of Photoshop, that's some kind of digital, you know, trick there. I can give reasons for God, I can give the evidence for God, but you know, there's something about the love that we are called to have for one another that is devastating to unbelief. Now, let me, let me make this point to you. How many Christians have you met or people who used to be Christians or Christians who are wandering around this city or wherever you are, and they don't go to church anymore because they said, somebody in church hurt me. Now, they're willing to broad brush two billion Christians on the planet because one person hurt them. They're willing to, to, to cast aspersions on the whole Christian community because of a handful of people. That doesn't make sense, but that just shows you how emotionally led we are. But let me just put it this way. If one person hurting you can devastate someone's faith, guess what one person loving can do? I, I, I marvel when I watch my buddy, my friend, James Lowe, and his wife and family, they, they, they live in a world that is predominantly non-African-American. Their children go to a school where they're some of the, you know, or they play in sports where they are, you know, just a handful of African-Americans in a, in a sea of predominantly Caucasian people. And they live a message of reconciliation. And, I, and it, it's, it's amazing because people come to this church. It's not because, when I was the pastor, especially it wasn't because of the preaching. Now the Pastor James here, it's a little bit better. It's a little bit more of an advantage. But the reason why I believe people began to come to Bethel, it's because they saw this picture of a black and a white hand. And when they got here, they looked around and said, you know, 
that's just not some graphic, you know, promotional campaign that somebody thought up in the art department. It's lived out. When you come in and you see 60-something nations loving one another, in the midst of all the confusion and all the pain of this past year, when injustice and, and things that took place that we, we watched and thought, no, 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 this couldn't be true. No one would ever do another human being like that. And yet to see the spirit of reconciliation. And it's not just something for Bethel. This is something that every believer, all of us, and if we'll focus on God's purposes, his promises, and ultimately his people. That's why he gives us a church, a practical way to, to, to love one another. Father, I thank you that in this beginning, this new year, Lord, may we not try to predict what's going to happen. Who knows what's going to happen? I'm not a prophet. I don't, wouldn't even begin to assume I know what's to come. But I know that your purposes will not change. Economies change. Governments change. Circumstances change. Politics change. But your purposes are unchanging. Hebrews 6.17. God wants to show, Hebrews 6.17, to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable nature of his purpose. The unchanging nature of his purpose. Thank you for this, that you don't change. That your purposes don't change. That your promises don't change. And Lord, you give us a chance to walk this out as people. Lord, you put us practically, just like you put us in families. You give us families to practically walk out this love message to love one another. Just as you do it naturally, you do it spiritually. Thank you for the chance to walk with my friend, Pastor James. Thank you for the chance to walk with the men and women across the planet Thank you for the chance to love one another, not because we are from the same background or, the, or from the same ethnicity, but because we serve the same risen Jesus, and we give you praise. Amen.